Empire of the Sun. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. Hello there, and welcome to the Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Kellen Olson, joined as always by Kevin Zerman. Kevin, it is our post-Game 4 pod, a little late, more of a Game 5 preview here on this Friday morning. Kevin, who's falling apart more, Team USA or the Phoenix Suns? hey Team USA literally has six players who could actually play today, so I would say it's them. I would say it's them as well, and I don't really think the Suns are falling apart. More of a joke towards Team USA and what's going on with them right now. Uh, maybe should have had the camp in Oklahoma City or Boise, Kev. <laughs> maybe should have uh, thought about thought about that. I know that's where they usually have it, by the way. Let's not talk about them, though. Let's talk about the Phoenix Suns and where I want to start this conversation off and, and kind of have our our conversation and our talk trend around after game four, which was a 109-103 Suns loss. The series is tied at two games apiece. Milwaukee has now won two games in a row, both at home. The series actually hasn't officially started yet, Kevin, because the road team hasn't won yet. So I don't even know if there's anything worth talking about because the series doesn't technically exist. (laughs) But with that in mind, I think, and with where I want to start this, I am... From this camp, as you guys know, with what we've been talking about on this podcast for years now with and how we talk about basketball, how I've been previewing game by game, looking at drop coverage, switching, all these kinds of things, adjustments being the key word. And I think that we as a basketball writing, covering, reporting kind of group have sort of fallen in love so much with adjustments and monitoring them over a series that to me this series is not it does not mean just because the Suns have lost two games in a row in the middle of the series that the Bucks have suddenly figured out the Suns that is not where I stand so I want to ask you after these two games where is your percentage point in terms of this is X percentage of this is the Bucks have adjusted and made really smart decisions and have figured out how to better play the Suns and how much of it is the Suns just not playing all that well. Ooh, that's a tough one. I think maybe 30, 70, um, 30 as far as adjustments, 70 as far as who's just played well. I mean, when you look at it, I think the Bucks did take game one and used it kind of like, you know, we talked about the Lakers series and the Clippers series where they learned a lot from one game. Um, and, and it's not groundbreaking stuff on the Bucks end. It's, you know, playing Bobby Portis a little more um, matchup wise. These teams kind of knew we knew they knew where certain pieces were going to be placed. And now it's just really, going out and doing it well. And I think Giannis getting downhill obviously is more of a, I don't think that's strategical. I think that's him just willing his way to do that. I think willing his way to get DA in foul trouble. Um, I guess the Bucks did put Drew Holiday again on Chris Paul after game one, especially I think. And that's 
I guess, schematic, but it's just he's outplaying him. Um, simple as that. Book had a bad game. That's a bad game. That's not schematic. So I, I think that's why you'll agree that at least as far as the majority of this is who's played well. And the two-time MVP has played really well lately. And the Suns just haven't had their two best players on point at the same time. Yeah, 100%. And I'm glad you brought the conversation there because I I talked about this going into game four when I hopped on with Burns and Gambo about like an hour before tip off and just said, the Suns and any team will get used to like such a level of excellency from one of their best, from their best player or their second best player, whoever it is, and just one of the top players in the league that when that goes away to a certain extent, it's impossible to really adjust for unless it is one of those things where the player is out for the season and they've got to get used to it and go on. But if it's like a game by game thing, it's really tough to like account for that and have other guys just suddenly step up because no one can step up and do what Chris Paul does on the court. Um, He has struggled in the last two games, really three, honestly Um, looking at game two, he really got going scoring the ball offensively and then just disappeared in that game. Um, I, I don't really know. We don't know what is exactly going on with him. He's got 15 turnovers in the last three games. That's the one of the bigger numbers that's going around right now. But watching the game back especially, I think that it is very clear that something is not right with him. Now, what exactly it is remains to be seen. He admits after the Western Conference Finals that he has partially torn ligaments in his right hand. He also said that he got an MRI on his wrist. He did not clarify which wrist he was talking about, left or right. My theory has been the left wrist. There's a moment and like a split second of his landing when Patrick Beverly fouled him and he had that really rough fall where he tried to plant with his left wrist. And it was one of those things where for a split second, like all the pressure kind of went on his wrist. It looked like, and it kind of overextended and did not look like it was very pleasant at all. Um, There was a moment during one of the finals games where they were working on him on the sideline and and one of the trainers was trying to get one of the um, assistants to like put towels around. So the cameras couldn't see what they were working on. And it was his left wrist. Um, When he does his pregame dealio, which if you're in the crowd for game five, you can check out for this. If you haven't been uh, when, when I believe it's when Bucks intros are going on somewhere before starting lineups. I can't remember when exactly it happens off the top of my head. Now, even if I, I would know it, if I was there, Javon Carter will kind of wait at the three point line for Chris to go through his usual things where he does three of everything and his uh, particular pregame things that he does. He'll run behind Javon Carter. Javon Carter will run towards the basket. He'll tap the backboard. Chris will then go hang on the rim for a couple of seconds. He has not been hanging on the rim pretty much all postseason and especially um, in the last couple of final uh, last couple of things, he did do it at the start of the Lakers series, from what I remember. And then he had the shoulder deal, so obviously you don't want to do that. And the, and now he's not even doing it anymore. He's just like touching the rim, and, and that's it. Those are like little itty bitty things that I've seen. Um, and it's not going to make me to go out and flat out declare like he has a left wrist injury and he has this right hand problem. But that's what I've seen at least. And then there's the thing with the full compression sleeve on his left leg. Uh, apparently some point last game, uh, 
ABC's ESPN's cameras caught him grabbing at his hamstring for a sec. Um, I, I'm not sure, but if you just watch him play, it's not as um, I don't know how to say it. it. It's not as clear as it was in the Lakers series where an obvious that the right shoulder was really bothering him with specific parts of his game. But I mean, he was getting bigs switched onto him. Like he had Bobby Portis switched onto him. And whenever he gets a big switched onto him, 90% of the time he's clearing it out and scoring on that guy. And he did it a bit more in the second half, but in the first half, he wasn't really doing it as much. Um, he did it when book was out and, and that's because they flat out needed him to but he wasn't doing that. There wasn't as much lift on his jumper. Of course, his handle was loose and just the passes he was making, that kind of goes back to what I was talking about before during the Lakers series where it has to be so weird to play thousands of games in a particular way and then suddenly have to change your play style because of something not quite being, not being able to do physically what you normally do. Um, so that's my long-winded way, Kevin, of just saying, Chris Paul, in my opinion, is 100% not right. There are, I think, more than one. I think there's more than one thing bothering him right now. And that is the case, yes, with a lot of players at this point in the season. But I also think that this is just beyond like the usual like nicks and knacks of a full season of basketball. And there's there actually might be a, a real injury that he's going through right now or two, honestly, with the way that he, he looks uh, because – I just can't look at this like he's not playing well. It's it's something more, I think. Yeah, I, I think I can't tell if it's the hand injuries leading to this, but he just didn't even look like he had the explosion or the, you know, when he's dancing. And I know it's hard to dance and make Bobby Portis dance when your hands don't work or fingers don't work, but he didn't look like look like his legs could even do that. Um, to me and and again that might be just because he doesn't want to try it because his hands aren't working but look we know he had tape on two fingers on one hand and the wrist was wrapped on the other it wasn't clear where he got an MRI which hand because hand to me is different than wrist or finger so just uh just to be clear sorry to cut you off Kevin the the finger wrap was on his right hand and then the the wrap on his wrist was on his left Yes. Yeah. So when he, he mentioned, he said, yeah, I, I got an MRI in my hand. Like, to be honest, I don't know if that's clear, if that's one injury or the other or a third injury to his hands. He or said, he said injury. wrist. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, it's, he said hand and wrist basically in that one post game. So it's not good, whatever it is. And no. <laughs> he obviously played decently through it in that last closeout game of the last series but, I mean, I think right now you kind of just say, look how he plays early on, kind of like the Lakers series. And Monty did kind of go extended campaign minutes. And I think campaign did play decently well in this last game, attacking a little more, um, not just like... If, if they don't have Drew Holiday on him, he needs to attack, I think. I think that's a big thing just to make – to give the Suns something extra because Book can't do it all himself. No, and he had to in that game, and he almost did. Um, again, wonderful transition, Kevin. Glad you brought him up. Uh, we should not go without talking about that briefly. Book had 42 points. Uh, Badman mode came in into the first half. 
if you're a new listener, you see me tweeting the Batman, and it's obvious who I'm talking about, but you don't know exactly what that means. I wrote a column towards the end of the bubble where in pretty much every single, I believe it was either every game or every game, but one that they won in the bubble book had a section of the fourth quarter where he essentially went on his own seven Oh nine two eleven four run when the game was either tied within three points and the Suns were leading up five up seven or whatever, and effectively ended the game through scoring and, and passing. And it was just like this new kind of like takeover mode from him where he was hitting really tough shots and just seemed like this unguardable, unsolvable kind of offensive piece. And whenever he just gets really in the zone offensively, um, especially in the second half, and we see it come in the fourth quarter, that's that's the bad man. And we saw the bad man in the second quarter when he scored 12 points over four minutes. That's the superstar thing I talk a lot about, Kevin, where you can sense the other team is about to kind of make a run or about to get control of the game again. And he just grabbed the game back and said, uh-uh, that's not happening. Hit a bunch of tough shots, goes into the third quarter and is even better. Even through foul trouble and sitting for about four minutes, he goes seven of seven from the field, four more free throws. He had 18 points in that quarter, so he had 30 in the middle quarters. Uh, but he only had four in the fourth quarter. He was two of six. Uh, he had to come out again for foul trouble. He said after the game that he was still in rhythm and still had his flow. I, I believe him there for sure, but it obviously has to affect you in in, in some way. Um, I, I do believe that like his shot making and like how he was feeling, that was still there when he sat or when he came back in after he sat, but obviously it would have been much better if he had just been able to stay in the game without picking up the silly fouls, which has to be, maybe that's, I I would love to hear Suns fans opinion. That's gotta be the most frustrating game of the year for them from like a fan watching experience, just because not only is no one helping him offensively at all, um, but the, the dumb turnovers, the offensive rebounds, again, being a huge issue, and then Book being out due to foul trouble from silly, silly fouls on his part. The Giannis foul in transition was just one of those, Kevin, for his third, where it's like you got to be aware that that's going to be your third foul and just foul awareness, and, and it was just a lack of that from him, and I don't want that to be the end of what I say on him because he was amazing um, and, and really spectacular in – in that game. Uh, it, is that one of those games, Kevin, you look at where you say the Suns really wasted one and, and should have, it was a wasted opportunity given the way that he played. I think that that's obvious, but also I don't think it's to go back to the must win, must lose thing we talked about last episode. I don't think, I don't think it's one of those situations. No, I don't think it's a must win, must lose, whatever, or don't lose. Um, but I think it was a waste because of how well he played, how well Jay Crowder played. I thought DA actually wasn't terrible. I thought he was active and the Bucks did a good job closing him out offensively. Um, but I think when you read the fan reaction during the game after there was a lot at the officials, I don't think that's right. I think there was a lot of Chris Paul, like bad stuff, which was ridiculous because like he got you here. He helped get you here. Um, but I think I, I think that those two things were frustrations about the Suns should have taken one, and they they honestly like I felt everyone was panicking throughout, but they were leading most of the game, right? I mean, they were in control, and, and that's why the Booker non call where he fouled Drew Holiday and they just missed it was so 
ridiculous and why, you know, fans were upset about Monty's sitting book was also kind of ridiculous because it's like, you want to have book in the end of that game to go win it. And they obviously didn't get enough playmaking done on either side of the ball to stop it because Chris Middleton just killed them, um, which is another issue we can talk about in a sec, but I, you got to have book available down the stretch in those games because he has to match Chris Middleton. They have to make it. So he is able to match Chris Middleton. I mean, they, they were just like breakdowns across the board. Paul's turnover book had a turnover late. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that's where it kind of stuck with me is like Chris Middleton outplayed book, even though book had a 40 point game and that came down to a couple decisions and they got away with one and um, decisions by his teammates as well. And it was just execution, honestly, at the end of the day. And I know that's easy to say again, but it was throughout the game. It was 48 minutes of it from the start where there was just too many lost possessions. I mean, it was 24 points off turnovers. That's, that's killer. I don't know. Even the offensive rebounding, I feel like at some point you got to accept the bucks are just going to be the better team at that. Um, to some degree, like book and cam Johnson could maybe do better. Um, I think that was the game where they didn't have a great rebounding presence. Um, yeah, book had one cam Johnson had one, maybe they can do better, but otherwise I, I just think that it's more the turnovers that really were awful timing. Um, lots of live ball stuff. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm going to look it up after this and see if there's like a game in finals history where someone gave up at least like 15 offensive rebounds and turned the ball over at least 15 times and just what the shot difference was in those games and just see if there's anything that compares to 19, which is just nuts. Like, and that's, that's the part where I feel like is a missed opportunity. The most is that you were actually in a position to win the game where you give up, you allowed the other team to take 19 more shots than you. Uh, which is pretty wild, Kev, pretty uh, out of control. I agree with you on DA. I thought that his rebounding, especially uh, at least from my vantage point of the arena was like, he was grabbing some pretty big contested ones. He had 17 and he was involved. I just thought that he was rushing himself a bit too much on a couple of his finishes. He was three of nine from the field and just one of those games where, it's very apparent and an, Oh yeah. Like this guy usually shoots 80% from the field moment where you kind of, again, like taking things for granted, a couple of those buckets go in and we're talking about a different game perhaps uh, to take my live experience uh, into this, Kevin, in the same vein of bender groans, when the crowd just kind of groans in, in like frustration, despair, whatever you want to call it. At a certain point with the threes that the Bucks were missing, Kevin, it was it turned into like really angry groans of like, come on, we're going to lose this game if one of you can't hit one of these. <laughs> please, someone else besides Pat Connaughton, for the love of everything, please. And I, I didn't even know this looking at the box score, Kevin. Um, I missed this. Three Bucks hit a three-pointer in that game. Only three of them. Chris Middleton was three of eight. Pat Connaughton was three of seven. Bobby Porce was one of one. But then Brooke Lopez and Drew Holiday were both 0 for 5. Giannis was 0 for 2, and Tucker was 0 for 1. They were 7 of 29 as a team, 24.1%. I would have to look at the potential assist numbers, but I thought 
that the Bucks were creating good looks as well. Um, they were just they were missing them. I, I thought a lot of those threes were good. I'm glad you mentioned Jay Crowder. I don't know if it works. You never know with his volatility, series to series, game to game, whatever it is. But I think you've gotten two <clears throat> really good games out of him. He was six of seven from the foul line. He was only three of ten from the field, three of nine from three. But he was doing that thing where he got to the line. A couple of those were loose balls that he was picking up, which, by the way, eight rebounds, three assists, three steals, and three blocks. Uh, 15 points, the second leading scorer, the only son besides Evan Booker to score more than 10 points. Thought he was really good, and that's two games you've lost where he was pretty great. Um, but yeah, they they got to get they got to get Mikel Bridges going. Campaign got going a little bit in here, Kevin. But those are two guys where they really you can tell the Suns are going when Bridges and Payne are playing well, and they they need more of that for sure. Yeah, I think Jay. It's a little concerning that it looks like he's aware that he needs to start attacking closeouts and drawing fouls and taking mid-range jumpers. I think that's a red flag that not that he's terrible at it, but that he's like, Oh, I need to provide something else for reasons like maybe Chris Paul's hurt. Uh, Mikel Bridges isn't going. And yeah, I thought he was great in the last two. I think Mikel is after one, his best playoff game, he's been pretty bad in three games here. And I, I've i been on this. I don't think he's super great at guarding wings, like bigger wings like Middleton, Paul George. Um, he, he's more equipped to guard smaller guards like Trey Young, honestly. I think that's a big question with him. And and that's, again, going to go into, like, how much do you, do you pay this guy? Because, uh, I mean, Middleton's just eating them alive, and I know it's not all bridges, but when you have that small of a frame, you need to bully into these big wings, get into their bodies. And I just feel like if Middleton feels like he can shoot over someone, he's good. And there's not really a good matchup for him. Maybe you put Torrey Craig on him more. I don't really know because obviously Craig is busy filling into that shortened front court where he's going to have to guard Giannis and stuff and slide Jay to the five sometimes and guard Giannis and stuff like that. So not an easy answer, not an easy job, obviously, but I, I think you got to get Mikel contributing somehow. Um, if he's not stopping Middleton, at least try to get him going offensively. And that's, that's a big question because as much as we see how good he is in the mid range, he's still kind of robotic and like, Oh, I'm going to go dribble into the mid range. Cause my three's not going, but he tried that early on last game. And it was just like, no, there are three guys there. You got to read that, but he was forcing it. So um, that that's confidence thing again with him. So they need to find something in him. They need to take advantage of a couple guys playing really well. Um, and then you hope Chris Paul's healthy enough. I think. Indeed. Uh, I was able to look that up while uh, you were going there. So at least 15 turnovers and giving up at least 15 offensive rebounds that has happened four, five times this postseason. The Bucks opponent has been four of the five games. This is just something that they do and make happen. First time since the 2019 uh, NBA finals. So it didn't happen in the 2020 NBA finals, but has only happened 45 other times in, in the history of the finals. Now that just goes back to, I believe, 84, which is when they started tracking turnovers, I believe, is the one that pops up. 18 and 28, the combined records of those teams. So n- nothing too crazy in terms of like you absolutely 
can lose you you're like in a horrible position to lose i'll, I'll have to look at the shot numbers later and see if 19 is higher than anything else but that's pretty crazy stuff uh looking ahead to game five kevin in i ad- adjustments uh, again i don't really go there i think something that I really liked in game four was Monty from the jump was running stuff with Devin off screens at the elbow, that kind of stuff to get him in the, to get him the ball on the move 14 to 18 feet. So he could get to his spots. And that was, that was great to see. And, and more of that for sure for him. If uh, where my red flag, uh Oh, thing went off for the only point at this game, Kevin, there were two or three possessions where the Suns ran an action to get DeAndre the ball in the post. And that is something that they don't do. It's just, it, it doesn't happen anymore. So for them to not only do it um, in a game, but to do it in the NBA finals told me that they were really looking for offense somewhere and that they thought that they needed offense somewhere, which again, goes back to Chris's status so for me, adjustment-wise, that's what I'm looking for is, is this more of book running, pick and rolls with DeAndre to get DeAndre going in that sense if, if Chris can't, can't do that? Is it getting DeAndre the ball on the block a lot more? Um, is it Mikel running some actions because that's the way that you have to get him involved now because Chris isn't? I'm just looking at it from the perspective of how they can potentially put together more offense if Chris um, – isn't able to muster up anything anymore because of his health status. Again, two days off between games. So you hope that's a factor, but they just had two days off between games three and four. So uh, not really sure, Kevin, they just have to be flat out better and, and lose those margins. And the most concerning thing from game three to game four is that the, this exact same thing happened in game three and they couldn't adjust to it in, in game four. Yep. I, I think one thing to look out for, Matchup hunting, you brought it up earlier. Does Chris even care to go matchup hunting? Because if he really is healthy enough to be a threat, I, I think it's fairly easy to get um, Drew Holiday off of him where it's a little, life's a little easier. Um, Book, same thing. Is he matchup hunting? They're going to bring him off screens. I think that might be even better than matchup hunting on his end. But there are just little things that you can look for where we're going to be like, all right, Chris is healthy or nope, he's not. Then where do you go? And that's what you were talking about. You know, book off screens, whether they're posting DA, whether Mikel's involved in the initial actions. Um, and we'll see. I, I think they are equipped to survive Chris Paul being playing. Well, not playing like he played, but being, held back as much as he was this past game. He just has to obviously not push the issue and know his limits and be careful with the ball. So, and again, it wasn't just him. It was book had a bad turnover, bots, bad turnovers. And we'll see. I I think again, that was a close game, man. That, that was a close game. Both teams are going to do what they usually do. I don't think we're going to see anything drastic on either end. And we're just going to see this play out in three games. Breaking news, Kevin. To replace Kevin Love on Team USA, have you checked Twitter? Can I break? Oh this my to you gosh! Yourself? Oh, I wanted to break it to you, Javale McGee. If you had to guess the number McGee was on the call list after the Kevin Love news, 
what number would you say? Was he the 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 seventh, the twelfth, the twenty first, the thirtieth? As a JaVale how many McGee, names did they get through? As a JaVale McGee defender, I'm just like I I get it because they realize they need a certain type of dude, but good vibes, boy. Hey, like who who is like the tall athletic center who could go do that? I'm actually surprised DeAndre Jordan wasn't just like called up since we're doing the old guy thing. I, yeah, Rashawn is like the name that a few people have mentioned. And uh, Ricky O'Donnell from SB Nation wrote a piece of looking at nine guys he thought in terms of replacement candidates because uh, Bradley Beal is out as well. But yeah, I guess size was the question there, maybe. And they just wanted someone bigger. And that's where JaVale comes real, in. Real quick, I'm glad they're at least realizing they need some role player type guys instead of just like everyone on this roster is just to score. Like, book, it's like, all right. I, I tweeted Keldon Johnson was looking like he was playing the best because he knew his role and he was moving the ball and stuff. That team yeah, has problems I, anyway. It's it's also on the players to adjust though. I think you got to know True. you got to know which star players are going to be the ones that are capable of adjusting. Like you, if you look through redeem teams and all the other teams that won the gold medals, it's not like those guys had Javale right. McGee and Duncan Robinson and Keldon Johnson on them. You know, like they had Kobe Bryant adjusted and was the defensive guy, like that kind of stuff. Yeah, like Melo coming off the bench is the example that everyone uses and turning into like a, a three-point assassin when at that point in his career he wasn't known for being a three-point shooter at all. But at that level with that ball, he was able to get it done. Um, so, yeah. We'll see, Kevin. Good for JaVale, uh, though. Good for JaVale. At, as someone who loves to be up at 3 a.m. And, Kevin, let me tell you something. He's going to be up at 3 a.m. watching water polo and stuff rooting on for his country. Uh, yeah. I am not feeling too hot about this team. I still think they are the overwhelming favorite because talent, but also Patty Mills turns into like Isaiah Thomas in <laughs> international <laughs> yeah. play. And those Aussies have like a good squad. Uh, so watching out for them for sure. All right. We'll be back uh, after game five, everyone until then remain calm. Everything's going to be fine. I would never lie to you. We can all just do breathing exercises together and get through this, I promise. Until then, goodbye.